I've been known to be praying for people inside the supermarket. People walk by. Gus, why do you always have your arms around them, a man or a woman, while you're shopping? Well, that's the reason. We're praying. Prayer is not some sort of magical charm where I'm trying to get the forces of God to work in my favor. No, rather, it's us saying, God, deliver us from the hand of the Philistines. Deliver us from the hand of our idols. Deliver us from the things that have grasped our hearts. And let us be wholly yours, laid in your hands, clay in your hands, and do whatever you want with us. Welcome to B-Sides, where we discuss what doesn't fit in a sermon. And this episode is based on 1 Samuel chapters 8-15, through 15, a message called The Barren King. Two parts today. In part one, we will discuss prayer with Gus, our president of prayer here at our fellowship. And in part two, I will share two insights from the passage uh, partly what was not covered in the message, and then another part which was mentioned, but we will elaborate a little bit more. And then, of course, we'll close with a preview of the upcoming chapters. Thank you for those who are sending in questions. Please do if you have questions or anything um, that you would like discussed, or you want to share an insight or a story idea. You can submit those to my email, brandonmcculloch at calvarychapel.com. And as I said before, it's in our bulletin. If you go to the fellowship, you can see that written out in our bulletin. It will also be in the text description for this podcast episode. And so with that, let's begin, as we usually do, with a 60-second summary from the message on Sunday. Ready? Go. First Samuel begins with barrenness. We saw that with Hannah um, last week. But it also comes in the form of people who lack substance. They seem to be strong on the outside, well put together. They have charisma, but there's no character within. They're hollow within. That's King Saul. There's a Hebrew word, geb And that means to be tall, to be exalted. And the text tells us a few times that that was Saul. He looked like the ideal king. But as we follow the story, we learn that he is not at all a good king. And three times we see him upstage the prophet Samuel. And that's the warning. Don't upstage the word that God has put in your life. We need that in order to maintain rule over our lives. You hear that silence? Done early. All right. And now to part one. Prayer with our president of prayer, Gus. We're here with Gus today. Gus is the president of prayer at our fellowship. Yes. Although you you just recently corrected me that you're not the president. No, you're no. the vice president of prayer. Okay. Can you? Because Pastor Mike's the president. That's right. Okay. Can you uh, tell me about that story about yeah, how you how that the came vice about? President? Well, of course, um, my whole life was was saved here. I guess it was around uh, 10 or 11 years ago. And this all came about because every other summer, we have men coming up to the center here and continue to keep it looking new, doing whatever prayer there would be on the building, cleaning up. In the, we're in the middle of the forest, cutting trees down. and It's a uh, big work day. It's a full work day. And uh, there were about 150 men here from... Um, Costa Mesa and other areas, as well as the men here. And when they assigned all the different jobs, I was sitting there, uh, not too good of lungs, in that I uh, 
I did what we, my generation did without any thought, and that was I smoked for 40 years. They didn't tell us what was going to happen to us for doing that, the penalty we'd have to pay. Right. So, okay, so here on our grounds, yes. we have people coming to do yes. some cleanup. That's right. volunteers right. for our mother church. Yes. And you're here. I'm here. And you, you're not necessarily uh, respiratorily able to... That's correct. That's, that's good. That's <laughs> good, yes. And, of course, I'm not alone because there were two other gentlemen here. One was uh, Juan Romero, who happens to be, I guess, about a year older than I was at the time. Um, and Juan just isn't in real good physical shape either. And Dr. Bravo, the miracle of Dr. Bravo. See, he's in the wheelchair. The three of us are now left. They signed all the duties, and we're all looking at each other. <laughs> what, is what are we going to do? All these men are out there working their hearts out. They had a breakfast here, which was marvelous. And... Um, Pastor Mike comes around and he said, you know, fellas, you're going to work harder here today than anybody that's outside. And we said, really, what are we going to do? He said, you're going to pray for eight hours. And how did you feel about that? <laughs> wow. I told my wife when I left home, I said, um, I, I have a hunch that what they're going to have me do, but I'm in such bad physical shape with my lungs that uh, I'll probably be gone for about an hour and a half. <laughs> So, anyway, with that, something I didn't know, that um, he had had a, a little uh, a speech to the, to the whole crowd before I even got here that day, that they, they could have prayer. While they're working, there will be men praying for them. Professional prayers, as we were. <laughs> and that was certainly not a thing that I was used to doing. Anyway, um, we said, oh, we're going to be sitting praying. Well, that's not too bad. That's better than out there chopping trees and painting and doing a little a weeding out in the sun. And uh, he said, and there will be men coming in with prayer cards that are going to be filled up what they want you to pray for, what their wishes would be. And we said, good. And they started marching in one at a time. And this is easy. We could pray for them. And it's a kind of a, a feeling, a warmth came over me. And I thought, what, what am I going to be doing here doing this? And, Okay, well, I'll get into it. Juan, uh, who's a very good friend of mine and somewhat of a comic, he's always needling. And Dr. Bravo's very <laughs> serious about this, as he, you would imagine he would be. And we prayed for about an hour and a half, and I, it slowed down. They kind of all came in, and, and I picked up my cell phone, and I called home. I said, I was a little bit wrong, honey. I, I won't be an hour and a half. I, pr I could be here right around lunchtime. I'll come home. Of course, about lunchtime, we are going full blast now. Men are now coming uh, in without yes. cards, and they've heard about the prayer that's going on. And there's, remember, there's 150 men that are going to be coming by for this. So we prayed all through lunch, and we went to, they gave us something to eat and some sustenance. We had water to drink and so on. And, um, and now we start praying again. Now it's around 2 o'clock, and I call my wife back. I said, honey, I'm a little bit wrong. This could go a little longer than I expected. <laughs> Well, make a long story short, by 5 o'clock, we have prayered out, and it was absolutely marvelous. I have, uh, I've had a lightning bolt go through my, uh, my heart and my soul. I knew that I had been outsmarted by the Lord. I thought I was going to come in and um, just be able to come and do a very light board and go home. After all, Saturday, I wanted to just go out and have some fun. Yeah. But when it's all over, then uh, Pastor Mike came in. He said, fellas, you're just, you were marvelous today, and said, Gus... He said, I'm very, very proud of you, considering the um, the sinful life that you've led. <laughs> in, your light of, in light of your transformation, I officially make you the vice president of prayer, of which you're going to be doing on Thursdays with Dr. Bravo in a Bible reading class Excellent. on okay. Thursday nights. I said, really? Yes. He said, and those cards that you saw? We're going to have those filled out every Sunday. People will hand them back to you. And now you will have continual prayer for those who need uh, prayer, but um, looking for some help. Those who just very personal items that they would like maybe someone to pray for. And they're looking at Dr. Bravo all the time that, that this happens, not me. But, um, oh, that was 10 years ago. Okay, and so, it's, ten, so 10 years ago, and we're still doing those cards. Oh, it's on yes, Sunday yes, dinner. absolutely, yes. Okay, so stepping back. Yes. Tell me about the first time you prayed. Yes. That's sometimes, you know, I hear other people ask that same kind of a question. Well, what happened with you when you were, 
When you were saved, did you, did you feel a bolt of lightning go through you? Um, did you all of a sudden just see light? And it, with me, it was, um, it's very hard for anybody to describe. I just, I knew, I knew his, if, because I was once a stand-up comedian at one time in my life, I could see. Were you really? Yes. <laughs> I could see a vision of God up above, kind of looking down at me, smiling. He didn't want to laugh at me. He's smiling. <laughs> he wants to say, so, you thought you were going to get away with it. <laughs> and I just, I felt so good. If in, if there was anyone that said he, that's when I was saved. That's all I can say. So, so this this sort of like image of God oh, that's smiling. Right. Yes, you looking was, down. Yeah, where you feel like you engaged in a relationship. Yes, with him. that's right. That's that. It's where, where were you? When when did this happen? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think. Oh, this really happened um, at the end of the day, the first day that we prayed. Really? Yeah, in the little crying room or the baby's nursing room. That's what they put us to do the prayer. And I knew when it was all over, I, I thought back. I told my wife I was going to be home in an hour and a half. I'm sitting here at 5 o'clock, and, and I'm, I'm just, I don't necessarily want to go home. I just they kept bringing men. We, we got more people to pray for. We got more things to pray for. And that was when I knew that my life was going to go in a different direction. So that was that was a life changing moment in many ways. Absolutely, yes. That's amazing. And now, of course, I do it every Sunday. I go around from table to table, passing out the cards with pens for these folks to uh, yeah. fill out for whatever the issue might be—an illness in the family, a job uh, issue. Um, it could be a marriage issue. It could be many different things. And um, sometimes people. I look at everybody as being as lazy as I am. I'll pass the cards out and I'll go by and they're not filled out. And I might look at a uh, husband and wife and I'll look at him <laughs> and I'll look at her and I'll say, does he belong to you? And she'll say, yes. Well, then um, he needs a lot of prayer. You better fill this card. And they will laugh and, the, and that's how I get them involved in it. So they, I have people now that stop me at the Stater Brothers Market and go, Aren't you the fellow that picks up the cards on uh, Sundays? I've become somewhat of a um, a prayer celebrity. So, <laughs> in the good sense that when people yes. see you, they think about prayer. prayer that's and right. Hopefully, that's it right. them. That's right. That's right. You mentioned that. Before this work day, when you're appointed yes. vice president of prayer, you pray maybe once a month. Yes. And now you're leading two prayer groups yes. at our fellowship a week. Yes. And I'm sure your prayer life personally has changed. Yes. Can you can you walk us through this transformation? Prayer well, before and prayer now? Well, first of all, we I now I, I never sit down before I'm going to eat and not pray. I, we have to pray no matter where we are or who we're with, whether it's a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner, or a snack. Uh, we say prayer. Even if you're on an airplane and two people are separating you and Shirley, yes, you guys will pray yes. over them. Yes. <laughs> awesome. But Shirley <laughs> will never forget, this is in the very beginning, um, we went to, to Atlanta, Georgia. And a very good friend of ours uh, said, you know, it's very dangerous to fly in a plane. So if you want to be protected, say prayer before you get on the plane. Well, there was a long line if you pray, if you've gone to many flights where you, before you, after you check in and you're walking into the plane. And so I said, I've got to pray before I get on this plane. As I, Before I make the step onto the plane, the people are all bunched up. I just all of a said, Jesus! She looked at me. I said, please protect this plane and give us a safe flight. And those two, uh, the pilot and the co-pilot and let them make correct decisions so that we can go and be with our family. Thank you, God. And there were, I could hear people in the back going, thank you, God. Yes, thank you, God. Everybody's a little frightened to pray, to Amazing. fly. And they're real happy to think that God will be on the, on the plane. Amazing. <laughs> yes, that's true. And Shelley says, don't you ever do that again loud. You can do it just you could say it a little softer. <laughs> but when I started you. out with Jesus there, looking around like he was flying with us. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Can you uh, take us through some of your daily prayer habits? My daily prayer habits. You mentioned every time you eat. And, uh, yeah, well, I, of course, I never prayed right when I got up before, like I do now. Mm. And I'll pray for the day. And um, it's a, somewhat of a, um, a selfish thing because I, 
I'm 80 years old now, and I have some aches and pains, and I pray to the Lord that I will be able to get through the day um, without um, suffering so much with my arthritis and so on that I wouldn't be able to do the things that I must do during the day. Um, I wake up with it. I will pray at meals, and I'll pray before I go to sleep that I will be able to wake up. And I didn't say wake up in heaven, although that's always in the back of my mind. If I, if I just opened my eyes and I could see him there maybe still smiling at me, that wouldn't be bad either. So in a way, prayer has become a sustenance for that's you. That's right, absolutely. As much as food. That's right. And Shirley, who is a, a real warrior, a prayer warrior, she's a Jesus warrior, she can't, can't do enough for people. Um, she's praying all the time, and uh, she would never, I never stop stop the prayer and just start eating I'll wait for her until she gets the table she'll serve me and um, if she gets caught up doing something for 5 or 10 minutes I still will just sit there waiting for her I can't sneak a little something I won't put anything in my mouth before I pray that's hard to do sometimes <laughs> it gets easier really well good for you man yeah. um, now when you pray yes how, how, how do you how does a typical prayer for Gus go? Is it is there a structure? Is there a no, formula? No, it all depends on what the day is like. Every okay. day is different. There's every issue is different. Um, we we'll get we we'll get a lot of phone calls from the people that are surely friends and mine, people from the church. Issues that have happened. Um, so there, there's things to pray for. Unfortunately, they're usually not real happy events. It's it's my my daughter was uh, was struck by. An illness, or it got some bad reports back from the uh, from Kaiser or something. We've had a lot of that recently, where uh, whether it's children uh, that uh, that are ill or get in trouble, um, my husband may lose his job, mm-hmm. and so it, the prayers could always start with uh, asking for help for them and to bring them closer to the Lord and to solve their problems. So a lot of your prayer life is intercessory, yes. praying on yes. behalf and for people. That's right. I can't ever. I don't start by praying, uh, Father, make me, um, make me better looking, make me younger, make me rich. And none of those. <laughs> that's not what we pray for. It's always much more uh, satisfying to pray for other people to begin with. Yeah. And there are people that are in trouble, in trouble. Um, because they've walked away from the Lord. They're not leading the kind of life I know that they could or that they used to. Uh, we all drift from time to time. <laughs> and so we hope that um, those prayers, and of course I will contact them and let them know that we are praying for their daughter, their son, their wife, their job, or them. And yeah. look forward to seeing them um, on Sunday and for them to fill out some cards and to, and pray with us. Because immediately before we sit down to eat on Sundays... Pastor will form a circle with everybody, right. and we will be praying. And those people will pray for; they'll pray for uh, personal things right out loud in front of everyone. So it's it's a prayerful time, and it's a prayerful place. This building is a is a very special place. It's a place of prayer. As you speak, I'm realizing, and I was just running through my head, how many times we pray before and during our service. That's right. There are several <laughs> steps of prayer. I just yes. You know, our prayer yes. meeting, our That's dinner right. prayers, our the, right. the worship team, uh, before we go on stage prayer, right. the worship team praying, the exactly. pastor praying, the communion time, That's the true. benediction. That's true. There's prayers yes. everywhere. track of all these people you're praying for do you have a journal do you just kind of whoever comes to your mind I must confess Shirley is is the original journalist her life is a journal if you were to what do you mean if you were to ask her do you remember um, on July the uh, 4th um, she'll go wait just a moment and she'll open up her journal she'll what did you want to know well, oh, there was man. an issue, and if we were an issue with somebody you know, that had prayer they needed and prayer that we did, she'll be able to go right there and tell you their name and when we prayed for it the day. She does this, by the way, every night before she goes to sleep. She opens the journal and starts filling out the journal. She has a lifetime of journals since, I think, since she was a teenager. Oh, she has man. a complete life written down in journals. There's that, a whole um, library of journals. Yeah, when she passes on, her children will be able to live through her again by reading the journals. That is so yes. special. Shirley is a very unselfish person.
person. She makes me feel bad because I'm not. <laughs> but so, but you're the vice president of prayer. Yes. And you have, I, I mean, it almost sounds demeaning, but you have a secretary. You have a recorder yeah. who has everything That's you need right. to sustain That's right. resources to pray for. See, Pastor, what a great team. Pastor, he knew something. Uh, he said, you've lived a sinful life, and he knew I wasn't going to stop being sinful. <laughs> But I certainly helps not being sinful. I let yeah. put my life in a different direction. He made me the vice president, putting a real pressure on me that I now I've got quite a job ahead of me. These people are going to be depending on me, be praying for them to the Lord directly to the Lord for them. Yeah, and it's worked. Yeah. But the one habit that is uh, that is great here, and I know he's done it to you. And he does do a lot of people who want to do something. Pastor, I uh, I think we should blah, blah, blah. And he'll say, what a wonderful idea. Why don't you do it? And that's what he did with me. And that's how I really ended up with the two prayer groups. Okay. By saying, that's a wonderful idea, Gus. Why don't you do it? Yeah. How are we going to say no? That was a stupid idea. I don't want to do it. No, you do it. Yeah. He knows exactly when and who to do it to. That freedom is amazing, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> you just said something, it reminded me, uh, you said something about your responsibility yes. to pray for people. Yes. Uh, Samuel, when he anoints Saul to be king, he kind of, he's no longer the judge of Israel because now they have a king, so he's stepping back a bit. Yes. But he says this in his address to the people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Yes. He tells the nation that I will pray for you and let God count it as sin if I don't. That's right. It sounds like you and Samuel have very similar hearts. Yes. <laughs> so you may be a sinner, but you know what? You're up there. Well, with the I know one thing. I have a lot of company. We meet on Sundays here. <laughs> yes. All of us too. Um, and we sin a whole lot less because of this place. Yes. Now, how has it changed your walk with God to see so many prayer requests? Uh, does that, you see, seeing what people are going through, does that somehow, has that formed you in some way? Yes. I, first of all, I, not, they're not all uh, prayers, but a lot of them are praise. They'll fill out the card and say, thank you for the prayer that last Sunday my, my daughter had a problem, had a, had a surgery, or my husband uh, who was ill, your prayer has saved him, brought them mm-hmm. back. Yes, it's, um, I feel when when I, for example, when I see a, not many cards turned in, I start really feeling bad. I feel like failed. Why? Oh, that you failed? Yes, that I can't get. That's why, uh, as I said, remember I was a stand-up comedian. I will play the game with them at the table with the cards first. <laughs> a lot of them say, "Well, are you gonna, do we have to do that card again?" No, you don't have to pray again either. You can just sit here and eat. Not, and, Embarrassed him to pray. And wife usually will look at the Henry, fill this car up. Do you remember what we were talking about? Blah, blah, and you needed prayer. And so that happens. But what's really amazing, the most fulfilling thing for me is I do a walk every day now of the week because of my, my lungs, because I smoked for so many years. And I'm walking around Stater Brothers and I go in and I shop and people will stop me. And say, by the way, I didn't fill a card out, but mm. um, I, I didn't tell you about my, my son, uh, Gregory, who is really not going through an easy part of his life right now. His, his marriage is falling apart and his job is, is on edge. And uh, His name is Gregory. I said, when I go home, I will fill the card out, but why don't we stop here now and pray? And we pray for... I wouldn't, I've been known to be praying for people inside the supermarket. People walk by <laughs> Gus, why do you always have your arms around them, a man or a woman while you're shopping? Well, that's the reason. We're praying. That's Nobody's ever said, I don't want to pray in here. Yeah. They're going, yes, let's do pray. Yeah. You bring it's what, an amazing thing. You bring yes. it out into the community. Absolutely. Yes. And you mentioned you're doing this walk, and you mentioned your lungs, and that you smoked. Yes. And it's the second time we've talked about that. Yes. I, it just dawned on me just how ironic what God's doing. Once in your life, you filled your lungs with smoke. <laughs> but now he's using those same lungs to pour out yes. praise and yes. prayer. Yes, that's exactly right. I think one of the funniest things I do, I don't mind people laughing at me. Or with me, actually. Oh, you're Because I have checked out in the market. And I'll say, by the way, uh, um, sir, how, how is your uh, husband's job or this? Uh, 
you know that uh, are you praying for him also that every are you praying in a fam and people are going they're looking side to side well, how come there's prayer going on here but they're not irritated by it and they'll usually sometime will walk so that was very nice that she is a, a good woman I hope that your prayers will will save the, the marriage or whatever and I'll say you know and never hurts if you would pray too and we'd love to have you on Sunday nights that's admirable. You, no, I, I try to I try to be that person that tries to bring them in. Yeah, yes. yeah. But see, you're not just wearing the badge, vice president. No, of I don't tell them church. that I'm a president. No, no, no. But you don't, you yeah. don't just wear that at church. No, it's, no, no. It's no, your no. life. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> correct. Yeah. That's and there's calling. a lot of people I run into that still aren't there, and it's hard. But I'm not through working on them yet. They will eventually come here. Yeah, well, God seems to be quite patient. Yeah. <laughs> Much yes. more than we are. Yes, yes. If you had somebody who asked you, as the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, how would you go about that? You know, if every issue is different, it depends on the person. I don't have a um, um, a canned speech, so to speak. I'm telling them how to pray. But um, um, do you know? Do you know how much Jesus loves you? I, I don't know. Would you? Well, he does. He loves you, and he worries about you, and um, he would love to hear from you. He wants to be closer to you. And that will solve the, the issue, the anxiety that you have and the, the separation you've had with your children because it's a very difficult life for children to grow up, the world that we live in today. And, and I didn't really think about it that way. Well, do think about it that way because prayer is everything. You cannot continue to go through life without prayer and without talking to the Lord. That's yes. really good advice. Yes. Talking with God. Yes, out loud. <laughs> like God. I said when I got on the plane, Jesus, <laughs> save us. <laughs> As I told you, I'm now 80. I just had a birthday, my 80th birthday, of which um, we had a restaurant up here, and there were uh, 28 people there, friends and family, which was amazing to me, because I remember me saying to Shirley, my wife, this, this is not a big deal at this 80th birthday. Can we just not celebrate it? You can give me a card, and maybe you and I go out to dinner and chill. And she got very upset with me because I didn't want to celebrate it. And she says, you just let me handle it. And that's how I said. There were 28 people sitting there, and it was wonderful. Um, the rest of my life, I just want to continue to, to do what I didn't do for the first 80 years of my life, and that is just live my life for the Lord. And hope that he can look the other way for the life that I had led up to the point 10, 11 years ago. And that's, um, that's really it. I know we never, none of us know whether this is our last day or not. So if you're at all concerned and you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and you would like to be with the Lord and be in heaven, you must live each day like it may be your last one. And that's what I try to do. Gus, thank you so much yes. for sharing with us. Well, it's my pleasure. Part two, two insights. Number one, don't handle God. In 1 Samuel chapter four, the Philistines and Israel go to war. Israel loses the first battle and they wonder, what happened? Why has Yahweh defeated us today before the Philistines? Now, they don't pray. Instead, they jump to a conclusion and say, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh here from Shiloh that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. This is the Ark of God, which was Yahweh's throne on earth. It was in the Holy of Holies in Israel's tabernacle. How the priests retrieved this without dying is mysterious. Yet here it is on the battlefield. They didn't ask what God wanted them to do. Instead, they grab God and say, Here, your power now. Well, needless to say, it doesn't work. So the Philistines fought and defeated Israel. 
and the Ark of God is captured, and Eli's worthless sons as priests die. And this is so devastating to Israel that that God could be captured. (laughs) They didn't quite realize, I guess, that they captured him first, but they were so devastated that the Philistines could capture him that when Eli hears about it, he hears about the death of his sons, and he's like, Mm, that's too bad. Then he hears that the ark is captured and he falls over off his chair backwards and breaks his neck and dies. That is truly devastating. The ark of God. God has been handled by the dirty Philistines. And then as another example, there's a woman. Um, now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and was about to give birth. She's about to die in birth. It's a son, but she doesn't seem to care. Right before she dies, she names the son Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel, and she dies. Her dying concern is not her own death. It's not even rejoicing that she has a boy. It's, but the glory departed from Israel. Don't you find it ironic that Israel first, they capture God. They handle him. And then they're somehow amazed that someone else would have the audacity to do it? The Philistines! See, we're sometimes like that. We're not aware of us trying to control God or do things our way and ask God to bless our way. But when others do it, oh, we cry out, don't we? So the dirty Philistines now have the Ark of God. But look, God isn't taking sides here. He's going to tell both sides I refuse to be manipulated, to be seized, grabbed, grasped, handled, harassed, controlled by anybody. So the Philistines have their own experience. The first, uh, they, they first put the ark in their temple right next to their idol, Dagon. Well, the next morning, Dagon is face down before the ark of God. Now, one would think when they saw that, Oh my goodness, this God of Israel is more powerful than our God. Even our God worships this God. No. They just act like, oh yeah, we hate it when this happens. And just put Dagon back up. (laughs) Well, the next day, they come into their temple, and there's Dagon once again bowed down, but this time he's decapitated, and his hands have fallen off. And so just a stump of their idol is up there, and the rest is on the ground. It's also kind of ironic, isn't it? That lopping off the head and the hands, that was what you did to criminals. But they just glue Dagon back together, put him back up, and they just venerate the very spot where he fell down and was broken. (laughs) So the God of Israel, Yahweh, is not able to get through to them. Well, now through rats and tumors. The ESV says tumors, um, but scholars think it is hemorrhoids. (laughs) So they conclude rats, hemorrhoids, it must be some sort of a plague. Some sort of a bubonic plague sweeps through Philistia. Now God is getting the message to them, and they're realizing we don't want this God in our possession. Get him out of our hands. Get him off our hands. And so they return the Ark of God to Israel. When the ark comes back to Israel in chapter 7, or in chapter 6, they rejoice. Yay, God is back in our possession. And they still haven't learned the lesson because they lift the lid off of the ark. They shouldn't be touching it like this, but they lift it off and they look within and many of them are killed right there. And the message should be crystal clear by this point. God refuses to be handled, to be owned, to be possessed, controlled, manipulated, seized. So in chapter 7, once again, the Philistines come on the attack. Israel, this time, wisely asks the prophet Samuel what to do. His answer what you should have done in the first place. Get rid of the idols in your life and devote yourself purely and completely and entirely to God underneath his hand of deliverance. So, the people of Israel said to Samuel, 
This is chapter 7, verse 8. Do not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel makes a few offerings. And then Yahweh thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them. Deliverance. How? Praying. And you know the wonderful thing about some postures of prayer? And the early church did this, is they would pray with their hands open. Because it's a symbol of surrender. It's a symbol of I'm not trying to handle God or manipulate him or coerce him to do what I'm asking him to do in prayer. Prayer is not some sort of magical charm where I'm trying to get the forces of God to work in my favor. No, rather, it's us saying, God, deliver us from the hand of the Philistines. Deliver us from the hand of our idols. Deliver us from the things that have grasped our hearts. And let us be wholly yours, laid in your hands, clay in your hands to do whatever you want with us. Samuel leads the people in prayer, open-handed prayer, and then God's power can work. Um, It may be worth noting that then Samuel takes a stone and sets it up, and he calls it Ebenezer. So if you've ever wondered why we sing, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, uh, and that great hymn, Come Thou Fount. Ebenezer, that word, it's not referring to Ebenezer Scrooge. (laughs) It's referring to the stone that Samuel sets up, and it means God has helped us. Yeah. See, that's the point. God is not someone that we're to handle. He handles us. He helps us. He heals us. Which leads us now to garments. Saul, in chapter 15, he loses the kingdom because he had disobeyed God. God, to him, was still somebody he can handle. Yeah, yeah, I'll destroy the Amalekites like you wanted, God, but I'll do it my way. I'll spare the king so I can humiliate him, and we'll spare the best for the people. Well, um, as a consequence of this, Saul loses his kingship. And he's devastated. Because now he's losing control. Things are slipping out of his grasp. So what does he do in 1 Samuel 15, 27. As Samuel turned to go away, which, by the way, Samuel is the representation of God to Saul. So as the ark left, Saul leaving, Samuel leaving Saul is like the presence of God leaving. And Saul cannot have it. So as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it and holding there the end of Samuel's robe in his hand. Saul looks up at Samuel, who nonchalantly just sees a prophetic picture and says, Yeah, Saul, that's what happens when you try to handle everything your way. As you've torn my robe, so God has torn the kingdom from you. Flash forward some 3,000 years. No, not, that's, that would be our time. Excuse me. Flash forward 1,000 years to Mark chapter 4. And you get this. A great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. 
Saul seized the garment of Samuel. This woman touches the garment of Jesus. Saul was handling the situation. The woman was open-handedly simply reaching out and touching. There is a big difference between seizing and touching. One is a grasp for power, but this woman, she wants power too, but she wants the power of God, not the praise of the people. That's why she also comes up behind Jesus. She's not trying to make a scene. She did not want to be seen. Saul making a scene, wanting to be seen with Samuel so the people can acknowledge him. There's a huge difference between grasping, seizing, and touching. Hers is the posture of prayer, open-handed reaching. Saul's the posture of power my way, let the people praise me. As a result, Saul had a tearing, a severance. The woman, that which was torn and severed within her, that which was bleeding, is going to be mended and healed. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body. I love it. She felt in her body. There was a difference that she was healed of her disease Disease. She was healed. The Philistines suffered disease because they, too, were trying to seize, grasp, handle God. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Now, Samuel turned around and Saul grasped him. Jesus turns around. Rather than saying, Well, you've sealed your fate. Um, he says, who touched my garments? And his disciples, of course, you know the scene. <laughs> you see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? But Jesus looked around to see who had done it. He's not paying attention to the disciples' joke-making. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Here is the posture of someone coming down in humility. This was not somebody who was trying to seize the Son of God. This was someone who was reaching out in desperation and prayer. Different from Saul. And she told him the whole truth. What did Saul tell Samuel? He told Samuel part of the truth. Hey, blessed be God, I have done what he asked me to do. And Samuel says, Really? Why then did you spare the sheep and the cattle? Oh, well, the people wanted them. Come on, Saul, really? That's a half-truth. The truth is you sinned and disobeyed. Well, here, this woman, she didn't sin, but she's telling the whole truth and saying, look, this is my condition, this is what I did, and I am sorry if it was not respectful. Well, Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Daughter, your faith. She's now part of the kingdom of God. See, Saul lost the kingdom. It was torn from him. This daughter enters the kingdom. She is mended into it, stitched into it, made one with it. So, insight one, God will not be handled. And if we let go, he will use his hand to heal us. Insight number two, image bearers. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, as Saul has defeated the Amalekites, he does this. It says in 15 verse 12, he set up a monument for himself. Not for God, for himself. Now, this does sound arrogant, and it should, but it was very much so what kings of the time did. When they would conquer a people, they would set up an image of themselves in the land to let everyone know who their new lord was. Saul is acting exactly the way the people wanted him to. Give us a king, they called, like the other nations. 
Saul's doing what kings of the other nations did. The only problem is that Saul was not to be a king like the other nations. He was to be a prince underneath the true king, Yahweh. And so this harkens back to Genesis chapter 1, where we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this creation is describing God as a king who with his word commands his troops and they overcome uh, everything that was not good so that in the end God wins and says it was very good. And like kings who won battles, God too sets up an image of himself in the new land to let everyone know who their Lord was. In Genesis 1.26 we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This, friends, is the victorious king setting up an image of himself. You and I, humanity, are the image of God in the world. That's why the commandments, the second one commands, don't make a carved image of your God. He cannot be carved into an image. We are his image. Or to put it in the exact same way, which is another word, we are the idol of God. Which is precisely why the Bible forbids idolatry. God has an image. It's humanity. But like Saul, we've all gone out on our own ambitions and we've created monuments to ourselves. We've created our own images. And Saul throughout his kingship is entirely concerned with his image and how he looks before the people. I don't need to go into that because the message went into that far enough. But see, here's what happens when we turn to idolatry, whether it's the image of something else or ourselves, it doesn't matter. When we lose the image of God, we lose the ability to be full, functioning, free human beings the way God made us to be. We become slaves to our emotions like Cain killing Abel. We become slaves to sin, as Romans tells us. We become slaves to the creation as Adam had to eat bread by the sweat of his brow. And Noah was enslaved by the drinking of the juice of a grape. We become enslaved because humans are the idols of God. And Genesis 1.26 went on to say, let them have dominion over creation, rulership over creation. When we stop bearing his image, we lose the power to control and rule his creation. Saul lost rule over the kingship because he stopped bearing God's image and started bearing his own image. When we um, turn to idols, we are giving the power God has given us over to that idol. And that's what worship essentially is, is it's us giving our God-given power over to it. And so when we worship God, what happens is he gives us his power. We return it back to him in worship so that there's this loop and of, de of dependency in which we are empowered by the spirit of God to reign in life, to bear fruit in this desert world. We can live the Garden of Eden once again through his power. So, this is why it's so important that we don't fall into idolatry and become slaves of the powers of the world. And this is why it's important to give God glory. Humanity lost the ability to rule. It stopped bearing the image of God. That's why Jesus came. He came as the image of God. And he lived a truly, fully human life. He showed us what it meant to be human. God has never despised our humanness. He became human. He made us as human. But we have not yet lived the full potential of what humans are meant to live. And that's what Jesus came to show us to do. He, if anybody, lived the fullest life. And so, 
to be the idols of God is to look like Jesus. And we will then finally be able to reign in life because the power of God is at work in us. So, whose image do you bear? And now, our preview of 1 Samuel chapters 16 through 17. So we first started in chapters 1 through 3. We saw Hannah praying for the birth of a son, who became Samuel, who became a prophet, who became the prophet who, in the next part of 1 Samuel, anoints the king, the first king of Israel, King Saul. Uh, We looked at Saul's rise and fall. He's rejected from being king. And so now in the very next chapter, chapter 16, God sends Samuel on a mission to find the next king. So David is the king and he's anointed. That's a bit humorous, right? Because when Samuel goes to anoint the king, uh, he knows it's a son of Jesse. He's like, I'm pretty sure it's this house, but I've seen all your sons and none of them are to be the king. God's not letting me anoint any of your seven sons. Do you by chance have another? And I can just imagine the the parents looking at each other kind of awkwardly and going, uh, well, there's David, but he's not very impressive, right? He's the youngest of our sons and he's, well, he's a shepherd. (laughs) Samuel's like, well, go get him. Lays down on their sofa because it may take, a shepherd could be a few days out, right? Finding pasture for the flocks. Takes David a while to get back and then David's anointed king. Can you imagine what's going through his head? But, but, But wait, There's already a king. Yeah, Saul has been rejected, but he's not going to let go of his power. Mm Mm-mm. Just as he grabbed the hem of Samuel's robe and a piece tore off in his hand, he's holding on still to that little fragment of power he has. But Saul is going to become madder and madder and madder and more and more insane. Well, After David is anointed, he um, works in Saul's service, and then he uh, is summoned to fight Goliath and defeats Goliath. Now, what I want you to look for is, um, I want you to meditate, ponder on it. What, What did David do all those days as a lonely shepherd? Did he ever anticipate he would be the king? How did he use that time in those pastures? Because it's clear that David is ready to be king. There's no mistake in anointing him. Uh, he's immediately tested. Um, he, he's brought into Saul's court and he plays music. Well, David didn't say, oh, let me learn how to play music for you. No, nope, he was summoned because he knew. Um, he can take Goliath down. He didn't have to learn how to sling those stones. It wasn't a lucky shot. He had been doing that. And see, immediately we see that David belongs in courts. David can do what the present king is too terrified to do. David is truly God's king. So what did David do in that time, in those pastures? Um, Also look for um, this, this fact of testing. Just because God anoints you for whatever you're going to do doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing. You're going to serve and solve courts, which may feel a bit awkward. You're going to face giants. But these are all tests to see, to strengthen us too, if we can do what God has anointed us to do. So there's going to be some tension, some irony developing. The present king has the future king under his service. And it's going to get ugly fast. But God has his hand over all of this, and we will see that in future weeks. So this is Pastor Brandon with Grace and Gratitude. Thank you for listening.